0: Mike Sullivan, I want to welcome everyone to the uh, Policy Policy Committee um, uh, of the Commission on the Environment on November Fourteenth at uh, five eleven PM. Welcome everyone. And Kyle, can you take it from here? Good evening. Please note that the ringing of cell
1: phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please set your device to silent. Due to the COVID nineteen health emergency and to protect commissioners. Department staff and members of the public The meeting room of the Commission on the environment policy committee is closed. However, commissioners and department staff will participate in tonight's meeting remotely. Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if the video fails and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. Each speaker will be allowed 3 minutes to speak opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling one one and entering access code 2482-775-5386. When connected, dial star 3 to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the Department's Commission Affairs Officer at environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now read the land acknowledgement. The Commission on the Environment Policy Committee acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatosh Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We honor the Ramatush Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to steward Wagra, Mother Earth. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. This concludes the land acknowledgement. I will now call the roll. Commissioner Sullivan. Here. Commissioner Bermejo is absent, Commissioner Wall. Here. Chair Sullivan, we have a quorum. Very good. Let's go to the uh, first item. Our next item is item two review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022 06 COE BC. Resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. The speaker is Kyle Maynard, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is resolution file 2022 06 COE BC. This item is for discussion and action. The committee will consider adoption of a resolution making findings that newly enacted government code section 54953E requires in order to allow the committee to hold meetings remotely as currently required under local law without complying with
2: certain ground act requirements. I will move approval. I will second. We need to go to public comment. guess uh, we do. Just one moment. We will now open it up for public
1: comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's turn to
2: speak. And we'll pause for a moment while the access code is displayed on the screen. And seeing no callers in the queue public comment on this item is closed. Okay, can we uh, call the roll roll call vote? Commissioner Sullivan. aye. Mr. Bermejo is excused commissioner. Wall.
3: aye.
2: motion passes. Thank you. Next item, please.
1: The next item is item 3 approval minutes of the t- October 3rd, 2022 commission on the environment policy committee meeting. Explanatory document is the October 3, 2022 meeting draft
2: minutes. This item is for discussion and action. Commissioner Wald, you I'm have a uh, motion? I'm not the chair anymore. Thank you. But I move approval. I will second. With the chair's permission, we can open it up for public comment. Please.
1: Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now
2: dial star 3 to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's working to speak. And see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Thank you. Can you call the roll
1: please? Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Mr. Bermejo is absent. Commissioner Wald? Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Next item, please. The next item is item four general public comment. Members of the public may address the committee on matters that are within the committee's jurisdiction and
2: are not on today's agenda. Just one moment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. i see no callers in the queue, public comment, and this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item, please.
1: Okay, the next item is item 5, Director's Update. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, Acting Director. This item is for discussion. Good
4: evening, Chair Sullivan and uh, Commissioner Wald. I'll be very brief. I have two items to update you on since you last met. Uh, one, I am pleased to report uh, that our grant from the California Energy Commission of $2.4 million was approved by the Board of Supervisors and signed by our Mayor. Uh, And as a reminder, this grant will be used to fund the community engagement installation of electric vehicle fast charging over in the Baby Hunters Point, uh, an innovative electric bike pilot project for delivery workers, and a uh, sighting tool for EV charging with Google. Uh, The second update relates to our budget and funding. So we've been in conversations and working on the long-term funding study. This week, we do expect the study and the report, which was done by UC Berkeley center for law energy environment to be released. So, it will be put out this week and we will be reviewing their findings at the upcoming commission meeting in December, along with our proposed uh, add back or I'm sorry, not add back our proposed budget for the uh, next fiscal year.
2: And that concludes my report. I'm happy to answer any questions. Commissioner Wald any questions?
0: Uh, no questions for me. Just wanted to say I'm very, very, very happy about that grant. I think that's uh,
2: a big win for the department and for the city. Uh, so, Kyle, can we go to public comment on this item? Well, members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed.
1: Thank you. Next item, please. The next item is item 6 update on greenhouse gas inventory. The speakers are Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager, and Stephanie
2: Lee, Climate Program Assistant Coordinator. This item is for discussion. Uh, good evening,
5: Commissioners.
6: Can everyone hear me? Yes, fantastic. Thank you uh, again. My name is Cindy Comerford, and I'm the climate program manager at the Department of environment. And I am here with Stephanie Lee, who is the climate program assistant coordinator. Who has been working tirelessly on our inventory since she started at the department in March. So, today's presentation is going to be on the 2020 community wide emissions inventory. And Kyle, if you could bring up the slides, that would be great. And typically, we release our inventory in April, but because of some staffing changes, we've been a little delayed, so we're excited to bring it to you tonight. Next slide. So, this slide shows our agenda. So, today we're going to take a glance at our 2020 inventory and look at our overall emissions. Then we're going to take a deeper dive into both transportation, buildings, and the waste sector. And then lastly, we'll discuss what our next steps are on the inventory. And then we'd also like to get your feedback on a couple of items next slide. So, just to give you a little bit of background on greenhouse gas inventory, so an inventory is a list of emission sources and the associated emissions that are quantified using a standardized. Method, Um, there are 2 types of emission inventories that our department conducts. So 1 is a sector based emission and that's what we're going to look at today. And that's really what that darker green circle represents on the slide. Um, We also do a consumption based emission. And that kind of at the light green circle, and that really accounts for full lifetime emissions of goods and services that are consumed within the city. Um, The consumption based inventory will be released sometime next year and there's a lag in the different types of data sources that that inventory uses. And so San Francisco has been a pioneer in doing inventories. Uh, We have been conducting them as a department since 1990 and all of the emissions are calculated in accordance um, with the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives in the U.S. And we also report emissions using a global protocol for community-scale greenhouse gas emissions. And these different protocols allow us to standardize our processes and also um, compare our emissions to different US cities and different cities around the world.
5: Next slide. So,
6: let's start with the good news Uh, between 1990 and 2020, San Francisco's greenhouse gas emissions were reduced uh, by 42%. So, as a city, we are making some progress towards our climate goals, and we saw about a 2.3% reduction since 19 uh, since 2019. Um, As we know, uh, 2020 is somewhat of an odd year for emissions accounting. Uh, March of 2020 was the beginning of the pandemic, and we're going to need to really recognize the impacts of COVID-19. Uh, we know that COVID has brought disruption to cities and communities across the globe. Uh, in the mid March, the six Bay Area counties, including San Francisco, had issued a shelter in place order. And it took a couple months for that to phase out. And so we know that that shelter in place order impacted how and where people worked, our energy use, our vehicle miles traveled, and what got sent to landfill. And so the 2020 inventory is going to include all these pandemic impacts, and we still have some more work to do to really understand it. Next slide.
5: So, this slide shows our overall
6: emissions by sector. Um, and, uh, in addition to the pandemic, um, there's many other types of attributes that impact our emissions, whether it's technology changes, different policies. These programs and annual emissions also just change with um, weather, too. And so the majority of San Francisco's emissions are, are coming from natural gas and electricity in buildings and also fuels used in cars and trucks. The remaining emissions are from landfilling uh, organic waste, our municipal operations, agriculture, and wastewater treatment. So, over the years, we've really seen a cleaner electricity grid in San Francisco. We know we have enacted some really progressive green building policies and many energy efficient programs. Um, We've also seen cleaner fuels, uh, and we have also seen a switch to renewable diesel, which has supported this kind of overall decrease in our emissions. Uh, While we've done a lot, we know we still need to move away from fossil fuels and focus on creating a more circular economy and really figuring out how we can enhance our carbon sequestration within San Francisco. And on the next slide, you'll see that transportation emissions are much more challenging than building emissions and more work needs to be done. And while 2020 might have been an anomaly, the overall trend is not growing quite as we'd like. Um, And we know that transportation emissions are not decreasing as rapidly as we need them to. So, on this slide, this is the breakdown of the 2020 transportation emissions. And so, transportation accounted for roughly 49% of our emissions, which we saw on the last slide. Um, and that's about 2.2 million metric tons. Uh, so, the pie chart um, shows that about 75% of our emissions come from cars and trucks. Um, and this includes all daily vehicle trips made entirely within the city. And then half of the daily trips that have an origin within the city limits, but go to an outside destination and vice versa trips that um, originate outside the city and then come into the the city limits. We also see, we have about 18% of our emissions from ships and boats, and this is from the port and maritime activity. About 6% is from off road equipment, and this is mostly from construction equipment. And only 1% is from our public transportation sector. Uh, SF Muni has uh, Hetch Hetchy power, so um, 100% renewable power for a lot of its um, transport, and also we saw BART switch to 100% renewable um, electricity in 2020, and we're seeing that impact. Additionally, we know that public transportation was not running at full capacity for 2020. It was at a very reduced capacity, Um, and so this probably, Also had a significant impact on the public transportation emissions. So, we know in the future that electric vehicles, reducing our vehicle miles traveled and um, increasing public transportation are going to have a really important role to play in offsetting any of our growth within the city and making sure that we can make a dent in reducing emissions from transportation. Next slide. So, this slide shows the breakdown from buildings. Um, and in 2020, building emissions accounted for roughly 39% of our total um, greenhouse gas emissions. And that's about 1.2 million metric tons. Um, and so we can look at this, the pie chart. Um, so, about 54% of that is from the residential sector, which is the largest portion, followed by 39% from the commercial sector. And then 7% is from our municipal buildings. So, overall, we've seen a pretty decent um, decrease from 2019, a 4.6% decrease, um, where in most of our sectors, our, our emissions are, are going down. Um, you will see a slight increase in our municipal uh, buildings. And I'll talk about that a little more towards the end. And so, um. You know, a lot of our decrease within our uh, residential and our commercial buildings, our San Francisco has been supported by a cleaner electric grid. As I mentioned earlier, we have really terrific energy efficiency programs um, that have helped us make this progress. Um, We also know there's been a lot of work on energy efficiency policy at a state level. We've had a local benchmarking policy, which has really had a noticeable effect Uh, especially in our commercial energy use. I think something to call out um, since 1990, our commercial sector has reduced its emissions by 70 percent, so really outpacing uh, reductions within our residential sector. And if we go to the next slide, we can see our building emissions broken down by commodity. So the majority of our emissions continue to come from natural gas, And as the grid gets cleaner, that piece of the pie continues to grow. In 2019, we had 87% of our emissions from natural gas, and now it's at 89%. And if you look at the bar chart to the right, we can see that we actually saw an overall decrease in natural gas consumption um, and a slight increase in electricity emissions. Um, And what's even odder, when we took a deeper dive into this, we saw a, a decrease in electricity use usage, but we had um, our PG&E emission factor went up. And that's something that I'll explain on the on the next
5: slide. So
6: this slide shows our pg e emission factor um, and that we apply to our inventory each year. And the pg e emission factor is a measure of the amount of carbon dioxide that's emitted per kilowatt hour. And we know that electricity is generated from fossil fuels such as natural gas and coal, um, why other sources of electricity such as solar, nuclear, and hydropower don't generate any uh, CO2 emissions. And the electricity that PGE delivers to customers comes from a variety of sources in any given year. And since there's um, the sources vary. Each year, the greenhouse gas emission factor is going to vary too, Um, but we see this huge decrease in 2019 and the California energy commission. uh, Had standardized a new mandatory power disclosure program methodology. And this new methodology changed the way that the power content labels were calculated for the state. And this also changed the way that calculated greenhouse gas emission factors. So, the first years using the emission factors um, calculated in the new way was 2019. And moving forward, all emission factors from 2019 will be calculated using the new power content label based on this methodology. Uh, in most situations, the new CEC methodology will yield similar factors to PGE's old methodology, but there are some market conditions. Um, when the new approach will provide very different results. From what PG&E, um, originally had and 2019 um, was 1 of those years. And it's, that's why it's very, it's very different um, from the other mission of factors. And PG&E has put out some documentation on this and they don't plan for this to really happen again. While they will be going down. We don't expect to see these major fluctuations like we had over the next 2 years. And if we can go to the the next slide. So this slide shows our electricity usage and emissions by provider. And so, for example, if we look at Clean Power SF, which is our city's uh, CCA, we can see that Clean Power SF customers were responsible for 59% of the electricity use, but only 29% of the emissions. Um, We can also look at SFPUC, which is Hutch Hetchy Power, which is all hydroelectric, um, and no emissions, and then we can look at where both PG and E and direct access customers. Where most of our electricity emissions come from, um, so in San Francisco, our policies for advancing renewable electricity, uh, combined with our local utility. Really have driven a significant emission reduction. And, uh, clean power SF has a goal for being 100% renewable by 2025. And in 2019, we had a a 83% renewable electricity, and right now we're still um, calculating that for 2020. So, I think this slide just really demonstrates what an important climate solution Clean Power SF has been. You go to the next slide. So, switching on from buildings, just take a quick look at landfill organics, just our change from 2019 to 2020. Um, we've seen them go down. So we've seen our emissions go down, and also our tonnage uh disposed to landfill also go down. Um, but our zero waste team believes this is the big disposal drop was really um due largely to COVID impacts. They believe that most of the reduction has been seen in the commercial sector. Um, and this was because of many of the, the large businesses um that were shut down. So if you think of stadiums and concerts. Um, and other large venues uh, were not in operation or full operation for most of 2020. Next slide. Uh, so, what does this all mean? So, as you know, um, we codified the city's greenhouse gas emission targets, um, and they're up on the screen right now. And our the purpose of our inventory is really to measure and track our greenhouse gas emissions to determine: are we making progress towards our targets? So, as a reminder, um, we've set targets, we have a, we're looking to have a 61% reduction by 2030. And to be net 0 by 2040 and net 0 in, for San Francisco means that we would have a 90% reduction. And then the 10% of our emissions would be sequestered by nature based solutions. And so this is kind of where we're at, um, with our trajectory. And where, uh, we plan to go moving forward. And so if we go to the next slide, we can actually see what our projections were for 2020 and what our actuals were uh, with our our biggest issue being in the transportation sector. Um, Again, this could be this contribution could be a lot to to COVID with the reduction of public transportation and people um, using their private vehicles more. And so we're not exactly where we want to be, but I think we're, we're probably within the, the margin of error. Um, with our with our greenhouse gas forecasting. So next slide. So I just wanna talk a little bit about what our, our next steps are. So this is kind of, we've just finished this analysis and we still have some, some more work to do. Um, so one thing we are working on with a consultant is to apply a new technique called a contribution analysis. And the contribution analysis will help us separate out the impact of different drivers between The, the multiple inventory years, and so we'll be able to look at. Um, drivers, such as, you know, population increase or decrease energy usage per person. And also the carbon intensity of our energy sources, and this will be especially important for 2020. um, where we start to see some of these changes, um, within San Francisco. So, that's something we're working on. We're also working on, um, estimating what the city's baseline. carbon sequestration levels are. Uh, We know that we have all these strategies and we know where we wanna get, but we actually don't know what our urban canopies' capacity is for carbon sequestration. So that's something that we're working on that we're gonna add to our inventory. Um, As I said earlier, a little bit about municipal buildings, we're still looking at refining um, the, or kind of doing a little more analysis on our municipal buildings. We saw that increase um, and we think that increase is largely due to activities at the airport. Um, the airport is like its own mini, middle, like mini city. Um, it's. Most of our municipal greenhouse gas emissions are from the airport and we know that they had to change the air exchanges within their buildings. And we know that happened in a lot of other city buildings. That might have increased our emissions to um, not follow that downward trend. And so that's something we're still looking at. Um, We're also looking at uh, determining what our electricity mix is For 2020, and then lastly, we're hoping to take all this information and really revamp. Our at a glance report, and that's our annual report that we put out. With our greenhouse gas emissions, so we can really have some more context uh, to, to what's happening and not just putting out the numbers. And so just my last last slide. Um, as we kind of go into discussion, if you have any questions, you no, know, we are thinking of revamping our greenhouse gas inventory report. I'd just like to hear from the commissioners what you think uh, should be included in it. Um, and also, as we're moving on to doing more refined um, metric and data tracking for our climate action plan, uh, we're looking at a lot more data. And doing the inventory on an annual basis is a lot of work. And so we just wanted to pose the question if the commissioners would, um. Be amenable for us to doing an inventory every other year. So, we can focus on tracking our strategies and. Metrics within our climate action plan, uh, rather than doing it every year. So, with that, um, Steffi and I are happy to take any questions and love to get your feedback.
2: Mr. Wald questions or comments. Uh. Why don't you start Commissioner Sullivan? Okay, I will. Um,
0: so, Cindy, this was a report about 2020, right? Which is two years ago. Is that just because it takes that long to get the data
6: to, there to, to is, do the report? There's a one-year lag, um, about a, a year and a couple months lag in the data. So it's not real-time data at all. Um, yeah. Usually, it's a year and about four months. Data lag for for each year, but usually we have this report done in April. Of uh, 2 years afterwards, and so we're about 6 months later than we normally are.
0: Okay. Okay. So, this is about what we should expect kind of adjusting for 6 months going forward. Yes, got it. Um, I will answer your question about what I think about the semi annual thing at the end, but a couple other. Comments or questions 1st. Um, it was interesting I, I know kind of worldwide carbon emissions went down in 2020 versus 2019. So. It was interesting that that ours went up slightly, um, although still kind of like you said within the. Within the, uh, uh, about where we expected is that right?
6: Well, they went down, so they went down about 2.2% from last year. Um, but we also have models that kind of show projections. And they didn't go down as much as we liked. Um, so, if we're looking at it as our, our projections, we thought they were going to go down a little more.
0: Got it. got it. I was, I think I was focused on the transportation <laughs> part that went up and. I really would have thought that with everyone, you know, for 2 months, not going anywhere and just, you know, walking everywhere and then with the work from home. Um, phenomenon that really kicked in in 2020 that the transportation would have gone gone down, but. It, it may have been just people driving when they could have taken mass transit for other reasons. Um, I I had a question, which is kind of looking at all of this, and you have studied this so much, um, you know, more closely than than we have. Are there any kind of levers that you think we ought to try to pull to kind of continue on the downward slope? Um, you know, focus where where the city ought to focus. It's um, you know, carbon efforts. Does anything kind of come to mind?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think we've tackled a lot of the low-hanging fruit. So a lot of the um work around energy efficiency and state codes have gotten us so far. But I think, you know, our, our critical things we need to do is fuel switch. You know, we need to get off of fossil fuels both in the building and transportation sector. Um so in buildings that means electrifying our existing buildings. And in transportation, that means, you know, reducing our vehicle miles traveled as much as possible. And then for people who still need to drive, making sure that we're, we're switching to. EVs. Yep. and although that also, this yeah. report doesn't capture it, but we know that there's been a significant growth in electric vehicles over the, even just the last 6 months.
0: That was my sense also, and I think you're exactly right. There are 3 levers that can be pulled for transportation. 1 is. Re- Decreasing miles traveled, um, the 2nd is switching to mass transit. But we've, we've been pushing on those forever and. If we're really talk, if we're really being honest about how we're going to. Change the carbon coming from our transportation sector, I think we've got to be honest and say, it's got to be switching to. EVs. And and that's, you know, that's something that we actually can try to. Uh, impact by increasing infrastructure and so on.
6: I think one other important policy for transportation is around pricing policies. So congestion pricing, parking pricing, um, you know, other types of things that we know will switch behavior more drastically.
0: Right, um, I had a question, which is direct access electricity usage. So what is that?
6: So the state of California allows um, buildings and it's mostly large commercial buildings to procure electricity from directly from providers, so it's usually large commercial buildings that have a national um, por- portfolio that that do this, and so they enter in these large contracts um, directly with providers uh, to get electricity, usually because they're able to do it on a, a national scale and achieve some um, price reductions. Hmm.
2: Got it.
0: Thank you. Um, so I'll now I'll answer your question about. uh, Moving to every, every other year, um. I, I, I think what you're saying is it is it is a lot of work and. Um, and that's work that could be. You know, hours that could be spent doing other things that would be. Perhaps more important is there is there a way to get to do kind of good enough? Is there is there a way to maybe estimate. our emissions inventory without slogging through the the work that it takes to do it now?
6: I don't think so, but maybe, Stephanie, would you like to try to answer that question? Stephanie is the person who's doing all the the data analysis.
7: Yeah, sure, I can take that question. Um, Off the top of my head, uh, recalling the processes that I've gone through to conduct the inventory this year, Um, I think definitely this year took a lot longer because like Cindy said, I onboarded earlier this year and kind of had to wrap my head around all the analyses and just process all this data um, that I hadn't seen before. Um, So I think that moving forward, it would be a little bit more efficient now that I have a better grasp of it. And we're also working on kind of improving documentation to make sure that. Um, any information that was helpful for efficiency and just like conducting the analyses can be like brought forward so that, um, those questions don't take. Longer to, um, like address when we're working on the inventory, but with regards to actually processing the data, um, just because there are so many different. Um, sources of data and like so many different people to obtain the data from, and sometimes like get. Questions answered from, um, I think it is a little bit difficult to like. Shorten the time it takes to, um, Mm. go through all that work. Um, but I think we are doing everything we can to make the process more efficient. Um, but I think there are just some things that, um, because of the nature of the data and the way. Like, just how many data sources there are, it's just a little difficult to, um. Estimate.
0: Hmm. And are other cities, Oakland, San Jose, Los Angeles, are they doing emissions um, inventories as well on an annual basis?
6: They are doing emission inventories, but many of them don't even do it every other year, some three, four, five years. We're one of the only cities that does it on an annual basis. Okay. Um,
0: well just speaking as one Commissioner, this is a new a new idea. I'm
2: I'm open to um I'm open to the idea. Um, love to, to give it some more thought. Commissioner Wald. Any other thank
3: thoughts? you. Thank you, Commissioner Sullivan. So the problem for me uh with doing the inventory every other year is that it's all, it, even now when we do it annually, it's two years behind. So the question for me about doing it on a, on a longer time frame is really how important is the information to you all to help in terms of helping the city get to where we want to go?
2: I mean, if in fact it's not that useful, um, then I I would certainly be open to doing it
3: uh, less often. But if it's some kind of a driver, if we had a way, for example, to alert Everyone in San Francisco to the fact that we're not going as quick going down as as quickly as we had hoped, which might in turn delay our ability to achieve our now statutorily required um climate goals,
2: then I would be more reluctant um, oh. to reduce its frequency. Right. Is, is that clear?
6: Absolutely. And in, it's a really important tool that we use. And it sets the baseline and but we're looking at trends. So, I think it's just the trade offs, whether we want to be doing collection of different metrics on policies. And um, things that we see in each sector more refined. Approaches on our kind of alternative years, or do we want to stick to doing this? Annually, and this is just the beginning of that discussion we're not here to make any um, decisions today. We just really wanted to get everyone's feedback.
3: Right? Right, but, but again, my question. Would be what kind of information. On across the board on all these issues, what, what I would appreciate is some assessment from you all. And not a general 1, but I mean, what, what is the information that you most need? in order to move us where we want to go and what's the least and you know general what's it what's in between so that we can help you allocate your time and your efforts in, in the ways that make most sense uh for the city uh as far as your second question i think actually it might have been the first question about what did I wanna see in the report. Is this the, is what we saw in the report generally? No, it isn't, no. So to answer that question, it would be helpful to me if I'd realized that I should have been looking for and looking at uh, the last report to see if if, <laughs> if if I liked it. You know? Um. And then just my my final comment is it's related to both of these things. Of course, if the data and the analyses showed that we were making dramatic gains, it's either it's both ways, dramatic reductions really is is what we want, or dramatic increases, then I would say we need to do it more often because i think either we need to push people harder to understand what's happening here and how they they need to help us change their behavior and their and and the way they're living their lives or we want to reward people for everything that they've done so that that you know that those two uses of the information, uh, the, the information is only like a tactic. It, it's it's what do you need? And then what do we need to convince San Franciscans to change their behavior?
2: Uh, Chair Sullivan, if I can jump in. Please.
4: I would also add maybe one thing for consideration By the commission, that you know, early on the analysis was really important in terms of formulating what areas, to your point, Commissioner Wald, we needed to attack and approach first, right? Because we didn't have Mm -hmm. the information; we needed kind of a trend and a baseline to do that. Right. I think where we are now, where we have kind of a robust, established climate action plan, we know kind of what we need to do. I think to your point, you're like, well, how quickly do we need to? get there is kind of the question that we keep asking ourselves in terms of like policies and things that are actually going to influence things. But on a year to year basis, like the trend, these are still trends. And so it it still takes a a while for things to kind of manifest itself. So unless there's some like abnormal situation, like we did with COVID, for example, where it's like, okay, we probably would want to see what happened that year, given kind of all the different challenges. Absent that, I, I doubt we would see kind of like huge swings in, in the sectors, um, unless there was something that that kind of rose to the top where we all were thinking. Hey, something major happened that we yeah. all were aware of and then maybe. At that point, we could change we change and we say, okay, well, maybe instead of a 2 year, maybe we actually want to do a year, yeah. uh, year checking because there's some information there that. Might yield some right. some, some, some strategy advice for us on
2: how we move forward. That's a great point. Thank you. I want to jump in with a a thought that. um,
0: Maybe segues from Commissioner Walt's comments, I. I I think I think what's important is that. Periodically, we, um, as a commission kind of get information about how we're doing. um, Versus the goals of the. Department, especially when it comes to you know carbon emissions, and a lot of that is in this report. Um, other, you know, it also comes in in other ways. Um, and we have we have our climate action plan where we have lots of goals, very specific goals. Um, you know, just to throw out one that I, you know, focus on the you know the percentage of new car registrations that are EVs, right? Um, we we set a we set a goal for that, and. Just that, that it just as 1 example, it would be great if if. With some reasonable frequency, the commission could 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 receive information where we say, here was the goal. Here's where here's where we are right now, um. So that, you know, we, and more importantly, the public can can see how we're doing and, and kind of keeps our feet to the fire a little bit to be reporting that information. Um, as compared to the goals, because no,
6: no, I don't know about do need to everybody
0: else, but I. Often forget what the what the goals were, and I, and it would be great to get, um, you know, information from time to time about how we're doing compared to the goals. So, um, kind of a, a long-winded way of saying, um, I'm kind of open to the to the thought of doing this report less frequently than annually, um, and I'd be kind of more um, feeling more okay if, about that if we perhaps got. Other information that was maybe easy to get, like, I think some of our some of the metrics in our. Climate action plan goals are very easy to report doesn't take a lot of time to get them. And so maybe we can um, not make the perfect of the enemy of the good and and. And and tackle it that way.
6: Thank you commissioner Sullivan and I apologize for the interruption. Uh, I do want to let, you know, that we are working with a consultant on developing a dashboard, which will do exactly. What you said Um, within the climate action plan, we have 39 different strategies. And for each strategy, we have a climate metric and an equity metric. And that kind of looks at track at our progress more closely to our goals. than the inventory, which is really this broad approach to looking at trends. And so that is something that we're hoping um, within the next year to get up and running. And there are some indicators, like you said, like, EVs, that could be. Looked at at a quarterly basis, and there's some that make more sense on an annual basis. And I think the other thing that's really great about the dashboard is that we'll be able to look at more San Francisco based information on neighborhoods and equity. And that's something that our greenhouse gas inventory doesn't really show.
4: Fantastic. Uh, I might just throw a note out there that that tool and dashboard uh, is being funded through the AdBack
2: uh, received this year, just so fully out there in the public to understand. Right, so I would just add
3: that in addition to having a dashboard, well, in addition to having metrics, which I'm a big supporter of, and a dashboard where people can uh, access them, that information themselves, I I would like to encourage us to try to figure out ways in which we can highlight some of that information uh, in, in whether it's press releases or bus shelters or op-eds or whatever, and, and make sure that it isn't entirely up to our fellow San Franciscans um, to go and find it out. But we need to you know, toot our own horn, as it
2: were, uh, when we are achieving the goals that we've set for ourselves.
5: Absolutely, and I think 1
6: really exciting thing we're working on is a marketing campaign um, that we will release next year and we just got initial um, drafts of the design and I think this will really help. Get our message and our progress and where we're going out there and so. I think all these things are starting to come together. It's just, we need a little more time, a little more resources, but we're, we're making really great progress.
3: That's fantastic news. Congratulations. and Thank you. For me anyway,
0: yes, and I, um, i I was remiss. I should have, um. Given you my overall reaction to the report, which is it was incredibly interesting to to see all the. Um, see the report itself and also the various, um. Kind of individual metrics, transportation and buildings and um, to see how, especially for that 1 year 2019 to 2020, which is so interesting with the with COVID hitting. Um. Uh, thank you for a very uh, good, um, uh, report and especially now that I know how much work it is to pull it together. Thank you to Stephanie <laughs> in particular for all the work hard work. She did.
6: Yeah, I'd like to thank Stephanie who really helped put this report together and the inventory. She's really dedicated almost every day, every hour since she started on this.
2: <laughs> thank you. Um, thank
5: you all.
2: Commissioner Wald any other.
0: Any other thoughts or should we go to public comment uh,
2: public comment? Good idea. Okay. Kyle, can we uh, go to public comment, please? Just 1 moment okay, members of the public who wish to make a
1: public comment on this item. should now dial star 3 to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold
2: in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment for this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item, please.
1: Okay, the next item is item 7 update on all electric new construction ordinance, implementation and review of department of building inspection report on exceptions to building code section 106 a 117. The speaker is Barry Hooper senior green building, environmental coordinator, explanatory documents of the staff memo and board of supervisors file
2: number. Two zero zero seven zero one. This item is for discussion. evening,
8: members of the commission. Uh, I'm Barry Hooper.
2: Uh, should we proceed to a brief presentation? Yes, please go ahead.
8: Um, this might not be the one we intended, Kyle. Is it all right if I share my screen? Oh, there we go.
2: Sorry, I apologize. I
8: apologize just one moment. Great. No problem at all. Uh, so we'll be talking today about the all electric new construction ordinance. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, as, we, as we do so, first let's just pause and explain what the nature of the ordinance is. Uh, next slide. Um, San Francisco has had uh, a series of policies aiming to advance sustainability in the built environment uh, including, but in this case, particularly uh, not limited to the green building code and a common thread has been advancement of health and safety uh, efforts at, uh, reducing, you know, direct resource impacts, getting a zero waste and imp- thus improving the resilience of our community in the face of disasters and recognizing that the impacts of negative effects of the operation of, and construction of buildings fall most heavily on those with the fewest resources. So a a long-term emphasis on equity uh, with a more um, direct focus in more recent years at direct examination of of those effects. Next slide. The city's building codes, including the Green Building Code, uh, it's important to recognize they're led by the Department of Building Inspection. And so the Department of Environment has a supporting, substantial but supporting role. And the reason that San Francisco has been using building codes um, as a key instrument of environmental policy is partly recognizing their common goal uh, of advancing health and safety. Uh, and, as an example, also advancing our city's climate goals in a manner that benefits long-term health and safety. safety. Next slide, please. Um, and this is our prior emissions um, data. Can we go one more slide forward, please, Kyle? Pa- pardon me. So, presenting uh, <clears> the <throat> similar data that you just heard, but uh, looking just at the, the built environment, the emissions from buildings have declined. Uh, 58% over the last 30 years, uh, through both improvements in energy efficiency and cleaning up the electric grid, uh, with the remaining emissions coming from natural gas. And so it's really in that context of build when a person uh, or building decision maker pulls a building permit, being a key opportunity influencing the impact of that building over its life as well as uh, the substantial portion of emissions sourced from natural gas. That's why city advanced an all-electric new construction requirement in 2020. Next slide. <clears throat> One more slide, please. Before we go into detail on the all-electric new construction ordinance, though, let's talk a little bit in context. The city often, and definitely in this case, advances requirements on its own building stock first. Uh, to demonstrate what's possible to lead by example and this is definitely the case the city adopted green building requirements and all electric requirements for municipal new construction um, in back in 2019 and those were actually are more extensive than what's required of private sector construction they apply to major renovations as well as new construction and this committee is very likely to be able to consider um, further amendments that would expand electrification requirements, even to the point of equipment replacement in the very near future. So, what we're talking about today is not the requirements that apply to municipal buildings, but rather citywide requirements. Next slide. The all electric new construction ordinance, the name does say say it all pretty well, uh, it, it directly regulates all of the common end uses of electricity across our building stock, including requiring that heating, cooling, water, heating, cooking, lighting, and clothes drying must be all electric Uh, as a reminder. Lighting may sound a little eccentric, but that's in there, particularly to avoid uh, a potential loophole for outdoor uses. It does apply to both indoor, therefore, and outdoor use of natural gas. And it began to apply to projects that applied for a building permit on or after June 1st, 2021. Key aspects include prohibiting gas piping indoors and out, as well as prohibiting adding gas piping after the fact. And this is in our city's building code, because, it, particularly because its legal grounding is on the basis of advancing health and safety, and as a substantial side benefit, advancing our climate goals. Um, since there are already all electric requirements, as I discussed, Replying to municipal buildings, just to reduce potential for any complexity. This does not apply to municipal buildings. Next slide. The role of the Department of building inspection is fundamental. They, of course, review building permits uh, to ensure they're compliant with the building code, including this, this element. Um, They review any requests that may be made for exception. They perform the inspection to make sure that they. Constructed building matches the building code and what was proposed, and they are obligated to provide data about exceptions, if any, are granted. Next slide. The role of the environment department is to support the building department in its implementation to provide technical assistance and training to residents and workers and businesses and to do exactly what we're doing right now to have a. At least an annual public meeting summarizing any exceptions that have been granted under the ordinance. Next slide. The base, and it's important then to examine how exceptions might be granted Uh, the ordinance allows 2 categories of exception, either an instance of physical or technical infeasibility, and we'll expand on that in a moment, as well as it does offer. Uh, the possibility of an exception for a specific commercial cooking establishment requiring gas for a specific process and, uh, the image on the right, by the way, is, is not a gas use, but rather a, a long term, uh, local celebrity and leader, uh, Martin Yan, demonstrating induction cooking and talking about it's, it's benefits at a, a recent event. Um. Also, it's important to recognize, though, that our ordinances can be superseded by certain pr- agreements that may have occurred prior to the ordinance, as well as state and federal law. Next slide. <clears throat> so, what is specifically is meant by physical or technical infeasibility? Um, that's discussed in detail in DBI's Administrative Bulletin 112, and that's the that provides a regulation uh, interpreting the ordinance. The recognized possible circumstances where there could be physical or technical infeasibility uh, boil down to a conflict with Title 24 energy standards, a issue where a utility is unable to provide sufficient electricity for a given proposed project, a physical constraint in a small site, or any circumstance that may have not fit into one of the, the three buckets above, but does represent a demonstrated situation of physical or technical infeasibility. Next slide. Um, th- those exceptions though, can only apply if the constraint does apply if the project is designed as all electric and is resolved if the project was allowed to be moved forward as mixed fuel. Uh, the determination of all electric feasibility is requires a uh, third party, generally a third party review, an expert review uh, that is Generally must be be via 3rd party, except for for certain small residential projects. Next slide and since. Uh, from June, 2021 to September, 2022, there were 188 applications for new construction that were affected by the ordinance in San Francisco. Next slide. And now we get to the (laughs) the bottom line Um, of those 188 applications to build a new building most of them have not yet proceeded far enough through the process to have provided the building department with any detail about the mechanical or energy systems in those buildings. So that's what the first column is that says no detail yet with 158 projects. Of the remainder, 16 did successfully propose electric, 11 proposed, uh, acknowledged at the outset that they were required to build all electric, but then provided Construction uh, project details that included gas piping systems and so they were sent back to the applicant for correction because they were not in compliance with the building code. There are 3 cases where, uh, there was a conflict with federal law and that superseded the ordinance and I'll talk about those and then the circumstance that, um, you know really got a lot of attention at the time of adoption has not yet occurred. So there have been zero applications for an exception on the basis of infeasibility. Next slide. This is the same information available to you as in tabular form in case that's a more convenient for reference. Next slide. So why are there three examples of um, where there was a, a issue of a federal preemption to go into that, it's important to examine that there are two different two major categories of prefabricated housing, and so one is modular uh, construction, which involves offsite both modular and manufacture involve offsite construction a factory, but in case of modular pieces are assembled at a given site, and the project is um, equivalent to traditional construction in terms of its foundation. In all cases, in in those cases. Uh, local and state codes apply, including the electric new construction ordinance. However, there are separate standards that are regulated under federal law for they're really designed around mobile homes, but also include certain manufactured housing. That are built in a similar manner to mobile homes, so they come in sections, they have a steel chassis and they're regulated by the uh, Department of housing and urban development and no local. No local building code or inspection is allowed to uh interfere with their construction. So the three cases where the manufactured housing was installed um, were all three very, very small accessory dwelling units uh installed behind an existing home that had an existing mixed fuel systems. Um so they were modest in their total impact and do not appear to be um, a broad issue. Um, Next slide, please. But that does bring us to having this data does help us recognize this is an item we're gonna look into and review legal options, whether there are um, any further steps the city might take to influence the fuel sources available to, to such projects. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you.
2: Thank you Barry. Um, great presentation, Mr. Wald. Any questions or comments?
3: Yes, uh, thank you, Barry. It was a great uh presentation, and I, I
2: learned a lot and I appreciate it so i um, uh, has anybody sued us over this uh ordinance? No. So
3: that is unlike the situation that obtained in either Oakland or Berkeley when they uh, adopted a similar ordinance, right? Uh, I I know
8: one of those communities was sued. There's definitely been a a lawsuit or two in Berkeley. That is correct.
3: Right. And do you know why that is? I mean, specifically, does their ordinance have the kind of exceptions? um that ours does, which might insulate um well, it wouldn't insulate against a lawsuit, but it might make a lawsuit harder to win. <laughs>
8: um it, that is possible. So the um to the best of my knowledge, the Berkeley lawsuit is centered uh was brought by interest uh of the California Restaurant Association. Yeah. And um uh, there, because we have an exception for specific cooking processes, that is possible that that's less of an issue. Um, it's also, you know, as a, as the data showed, we also haven't gotten a tremendous number of projects through at this point. So it, it's not, you know, we'll have to wait and see, uh, but, um, yeah, that's possible. It may also be that they focus is on the first mover. In Berkeley and we'll have to see what the final outcome of that the, the litigation is
3: right well we I mean we can't build ourselves out of this we don't do that much building in San Francisco right so we're not going to build ourselves out of the situation that we were in unless we were demoing all the existing buildings right so that they would then have to apply for new construction Uh, permit, but does what you have seen, the data you have available, and of course it was, this was the COVID year, right, that you're reporting on, so that that had an impact as well, but does it it generally reveal what you and DBI were expecting uh, to see in the first year of the ordinance?
8: Uh, it's reasonably consistent. Definitely. You're going to need a, w- this ordinance re- will require us to have this conversation on an annual basis and it is likely that the conversation will be more interesting, <laughs> but it's going to be a D or two or three. Um, and, uh, but it seems to be moving fine. Uh, we actually expected more friction and people needing more assistance, uh, with, uh, technical issues and, and that. You know, the the instances where the plans were sent back for correction uh, did just have not been major technical issues, they've just been that the, that didn't, didn't appear to internalize the requirement and and adapt to it. Right.
3: Yeah. So that's really good news, I think, Um, and so we're off to an encouraging start.
8: And then overall, you know, you're absolutely right that existing buildings are essential, and that's why we're likely to have more discussions about those. And those are directly addressed in the climate action plan as well. Um, at the same time, despite its compactness, San Francisco does tend to have a substantial fraction of the Bay area's new construction, uh, believe the most recent figure. Is that you know overall there's a I believe on the order of sixty nine thousand housing units in the pipeline um, the city's pipeline, they are certainly impacted by current economic conditions, but um, <clears throat> it, it it does add up <laughs> to address new construction as well.
3: Right. Okay, thank you very much. sir
4: Solomon, if I may uh, please i just add one more thing uh to kind of tip my hat to both barry and cindy and the entire team that you know one of the reasons we haven't faced as much pushback one definitely is the first mover effect where if a ruling is done on berkeley then obviously there's a cascading effect across any other city that did something similar to berkeley Uh, but barry was involved and the team were involved in those conversations even as they were thinking through our own local ordinance to kind of look for those opportunities and to avoid kind of the potential for litigation and that's that's 1 great thing. And the 2nd is, you know, there was a lot of engagement also done through the building decarbonization task force and through the many stakeholder conversations that we've had with both. Developers and the restaurant community here in San Francisco. Where, you know, we were very transparent and upfront with our. kind of what we were proposing and worked with those communities also on
3: advancing it. So I think
4: those 2 things also put us in a, in a different.
3: Right. Could, could I just add, um, if you or anybody in the department got Martin Yan to do, uh, you know, a promotion for induction cooking, I congratulate you. I mean, that's a that's a brilliant move in the kind of thing that I think ne- everybody needs, including in particular restaurateurs, but also, you know, home cooks who have been acculturated over the last 20 or 30 years, may, probably longer, Johanna, maybe 50 years, to think that there was something wrong with cooking on an electric stove. And your food wouldn't be so good. I mean, we've all been bombarded with that information, and that's why maybe not everybody, but certainly me, has a very large gas stove in my kitchen.
4: And credit really goes to the building decarbonization coalition who sponsored that event and, and brought uh, Chef Martin Yan out there. And he commented similarly to what you mentioned, Commissioner Wall, that you know, he's out in Chinatown and other places because you've grown up adopting a certain technology, in this case, gas fired stoves, and he's part of that signal to say, like, actually, nice. it's so much easier and more convenient and less impactful, like, in all the positive attributes and having someone, like, uh, Chef Yan out there really does make a difference and especially in the, in the Asian community as well.
3: Great. move,
0: great. Uh, Barry, I had a question. The, the thing that jumped. Off the page in the report to me was the, the number of. Um, applications where there were no mechanical details submitted yet, like 85% of the applications just had no, no detail. Was that? Is that a surprise or what's
8: what's what's going on behind that number? That is normal for San Francisco. Um, so that also means they're not allowed to construct anything yet. Um. A unique quirk locally is that we have a process called a site permit. So, in most rest of California, before you can apply for a building permit, you have to have completed all your project details and then you submit. Uh. that application for a building permit. Um, we have a long-standing law that allows the application to first go to the, to the building department, then get referred to the planning department for entitlement and the processes that apply there, and then get sent back to the building department. And so that that initial set of paper that goes to the building department is just contains very cursory detail, uh, but it is technically, is formally speaking, it is a building permit. And um, and that term is a site permit that you have. You only have permission to proceed through the permitting process with that type of application, and you cannot actually proceed to construction until you have submitted all construction details.
2: Got it. I muted so you wouldn't all hear my dog barking. Um, but
0: uh, thank you, thank you for that. So we'll we'll see we'll see those uh, applications in future years, I suppose. Um, my other question is, you know, we all see these, um. Construction projects in our neighborhoods where, um. It's a renovation, but it's really a gut and (laughs) the the buildings are taken right down almost to the foundation. Sometimes are those are those picked up by this ordinance or are they considered renovations? So they're not picked up. That would be an
8: alteration, right? So this ordinance was very strict at the outset as a starting point to focus on what is exclusively new construction, which means a building that is in, in no way been occupied before. Um, that is uh, likely to be something that, that is considered in the near future. Um, we have a history of uh, requirements that apply to major alterations, and then the Climate Action Plan explicitly calls for uh, a series of policies to be substantially considered and ideally ultimately adopted. That would require, um, electrification at key points in the building's life cycle. Thank you.
0: So I have no other. Questions commissioner. Wald. do you have something else
3: Uh, is sale.
2: Of the building still uh, on that list. Barry. Yes, thank you. Great. Well, there are no other.
0: Questions or comments very, thank you for a very helpful presentation and, um, I think we can move to public comment.
2: Just 1 moment members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star 3 to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. It appears we have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now.
9: Thank you very much and uh, thank you to uh, commissioners and director. My name is Jed Holtzman. Uh, I have uh, met some of you uh, before in the past. I have been a resident of the city since 1999 and a clean energy, climate, and air quality advocate for about 10 years. Um, very interested in this ordinance and making sure that it essentially meets the goals of, of that everyone had when uh, they were getting it implement. Uh, excuse me, developed and passed. Um, As someone who has done some work in this arena and is about to move into doing a lot more work in building electrification, um, you know, everyone in the public policy arena really talks about uh, existing buildings like they're the real problem, and that once we get these new construction ordinances on board, then we can, you know, really get down to brass tacks. So everyone is really counting on these new construction ordinances having 100 percent penetration. But if exceptions are accumulating in new construction, that will be a serious problem for our uh, clean energy transition. And not necessarily because of the direct impact of that facility alone. For example, the impact of those three manufactured housing units that were preempted from the ordinance that were presented may not be big individually, but when the gas distribution line to that neighborhood is still active because of that structure and maybe three others, when in another neighborhood it can be discontinued or deactivated, decommissioned, then that little structure has a very, very large impact. And so, we really need to eliminate exceptions wherever possible on the front end in order to have an orderly transition with a, I guess, minimized amount of stranded assets, a minimized amount of disruptive uh, high costs to maintain distribution lines that very few people are using in the future. And I think uh, this really includes not having a norm of low expectations for restaurant workers who, if we continue to allow exceptions for political expediency for certain cooking processes just so that we don't get sued by the Restaurant Association, we are essentially committing restaurant workers to continue to be exposed to horrific fossil fuel appliance pollution wherever that exception is granted to include direct exposure to NOx, direct exposure to particulate matter, direct exposure to toxic air contaminants, carcinogens, and formaldehyde that are piped in with the gas. Uh, lastly, uh, this really does need to expand to major alterations. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you for your comment. And see no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed.
0: Thank you, Kyle. Uh, next
1: item, please. The next item is item eight presentation on the Energy Access SF program. The speaker is Kara Batista Rao, Senior Energy Specialist. This item is for discussion.
4: Uh, commissioners, I'll introduce Kara uh, and the item you're about to hear. So, the Energy Access SF program is a local government partnership between PGE and the Environment Department. Started during the pandemic lockdown, Energy Access SF supports pg es energy efficiency portfolio vision by providing access to energy efficiency and rate saving programs to residents and hard to reach small businesses in disadvantaged and multilingual communities. Uh, you're going to be hearing from Kara, uh, kara Batista Rao, who is our senior energy specialist. And Kara has over a decade of local government experience in the Bay Area. And she's taken over where Kathleen Bryan has left off by leading this team, uh, liaison with uh, PG&E, and also providing support for our overall City Climate Action Plan. And so with that, I'll turn it over to Kara.
10: Good evening, Commissioners, and thank you for the introduction, Director Chu. Um, I think we're just going to pull up the presentation. Thank you, Kyle. Um, so as was mentioned, I'm Kara Batista-Rao. I'm a Senior energy specialist in the energy team and I'll be giving an update on our local government partnership with pg called Energy Access SF. Next slide, please. The Energy Access SF program is important to the city and county of San Francisco because it directly supports our climate action plan strategy to reduce building emissions and energy use among the hard to reach and disadvantaged communities these communities are underrepresented in the policy setting and decision-making processes. They are subject to a disproportionate impact from one or more environmental hazards like air pollution. And they are predominantly communities of color or low income. This program helps provide equitable access to energy efficiency programs for both San Francisco residents and small businesses. And to that end, equity is at the center of the program. Uh, Energy Access SF raises awareness by providing useful information and deploying community engagement, ultimately leading to increased participation in energy efficiency programs. Next slide. So, as you can see, the program targets areas of the city with environmental social justice communities. Um, areas with high air pollution causing elevated asthma and cancer risks. And during the first year of the program, we served the businesses and residents of the Bayview Hunters Point, which is a Cal screen disadvantaged community. In the second year of the program, we served businesses and residents of the Mission and Excelsior neighborhoods, which have a high percentage of hard to reach businesses and residents. And this year, currently, we are serving the businesses and multifamily property owners of the South of Market and Tenderloin neighborhoods in our downtown. And like the Bayview neighborhood, there are also a CalEnviroScreen disadvantaged community due to poor air quality. Uh, next slide. Uh, this map shows that the Energy Access SF program is predominantly serving communities of color that are Hispanic Asian and black. Next slide. Um, And so now I'll go into some highlights from our residential outreach. Next slide. Our staff built awareness of, and access to energy programs in underserved communities, despite significant challenges that were posed by the pandemic out of more than 900 conversations with residents about 30% were delivered in language Many of the residents that we talked with didn't even know about pg and programs for low income residents or how they could benefit from them. And in the very early days of the pandemic, it was especially important for residents and businesses to be aware of the financial assistance that was available through pg and Next slide. So, over the first two program years, we've referred 567 residents to PG&E's energy efficiency programs and 114 residents to the Bay Area Regional Energy Networks programs. Next slide. And we didn't do this alone. Uh, We worked with local community-based organizations in each of the neighborhoods who helped to provide additional legitimacy and built trust for the Energy Access SF program. Next slide. Our residential outreach also involved partnering with Radiant Labs, who provided an innovative online tool to assist with targeting customers for outreach. The Radiant Labs tool helps us to identify and target homeowners who have a propensity to act based on both permit data as well as census data. So, as an example, We can target households who have limited English speakers who are in a specific zip code um, and who have older appliances based on permit data that need replacement. And then we can connect those residents to relevant incentive programs. Next slide. The Radiant Labs tool also allows us to generate a customized report based on the home's permit history and to suggest Upgrade packages for them. Our suggested upgrades range from installing a smart thermostat and sealing air ducts all the way to full electrification. The report will show the homeowner an estimate of the home's energy usage, their costs, and the payback for each of the three recommended upgrade packages, which are labeled good, better, and best on the report. Next slide. And so now I'll cover a few of our successes serving small and medium businesses, uh, which were especially hard hit by the pandemic. And as the recovery continues, these energy efficiency projects are a great opportunity for businesses to save money on their utility bills. We have successfully reached 420 small and medium businesses and conducted 356 no-cost energy audits for them. We've referred 149 businesses to different financing programs and 23 to PG&E's energy efficiency incentive programs. And next slide we've increased awareness and referrals. Our effectiveness stems from deploying credible, trusted city staff to deliver in language in person outreach. Energy access staff provided in language services to an estimated 50%. Of the small and medium business customers that we served, with about fifteen percent served in Chinese and thirty-five percent served in Spanish. Next slide. The Energy Access SF program is a local government partnership program that's funded by PG and E using ratepayer funds. The program was funded first in. Um, July of 2020 with 2.4 million dollars to last from July all the way July 2020 all the way through June of 2023. The funding supports 2.5 full-time equivalents in the energy team as well as a portion of staff time from our Environment now outreach team and marketing staff. And despite tremendous challenges from the pandemic, uh, we're proud that the program has exceeded all of our goals. Uh, to date. Earlier this year, PGE had indicated that they would continue funding the Energy Access SF program in their next funding cycle from 2024 through 2027. However, in September, PGE notified us that they are no longer continuing to plan to fund us after this fiscal year ends in June. PGE has cited a desire to shift their funding. Uh, to focus on areas of the state that really receive less funding compared to San Francisco. And they've also told us that they are narrowing their focus to no longer include residential outreach for these kinds of local government partnerships. They really want to focus on non-residential customers. Next slide. So in closing, um, we see tremendous value in continuing to engage with our hard-to-reach residents and small and medium businesses in disadvantaged communities to better serve those communities, help them save money on their utility bills, and to reach our energy efficiency and climate action goals. We are currently talking with PG&E to see if they'd be interested in funding a smaller scaled down version of the Energy Access SF program. And we have also shared the program With the San Francisco public utilities commission, they share an equity focused mission and we are hopeful that they will consider funding a a broader version of the program. Um, So, next slide that concludes my presentation. Um, I'm available for any questions.
2: Thank you, Kara.
0: very disappointing to hear that PG and E has decided to um, end the program after after this year. Um, I'll have a couple questions. I wonder if um, Commissioner Wald has anything uh in the nature of a question or comment.
3: Uh thank you. I mean PG and E's decision must have been devastating and I don't and it, changes my mind about the questions that I was going to ask is, is there anything that uh, the commission might be able to do to help change PG&E's uh, mind? Do you think, Kara? I mean, on occasion, you know, we write, we write letters to other commission. We write letters to the board of supervisors, members of the board of supervisors. Um, might a letter um do you think it would be helpful do you think a delegation of us going there maybe not now but at some point when you've exhausted you know some of your other options i w- would definitely talking to other people who have good relations with pg and I mean i definitely would not like to see this program uh go away i'd like to see it expanded rather than you know jumped as PG&E thinks now
10: um yes i think we would certainly appreciate any form of help that the commissioners can provide um i think at this point we are kind of still working with PG&E's staff to see if there's a possibility to fund a portion of the program and and would also like to see how it pans out with the sfpuc but we could certainly circle back to you and let you know you know if the time is right for some assistance
2: good luck thank you
4: commissioner wald also to in response to your question when we discuss the proposed budget the early discussion in december will uh, also provide you with an update here um, as one of the considerations is, is adding uh, some of the funding through our request through the budget process. Um, so we'll be happy to update you in December when, during that meeting as far as where we are with the
2: process of PDNI and others. Thank you. I'll look forward to that. And as I indicated, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Kara, I had a question about um, the the percentage of these
0: meetings or audits that actually result in actions to achieve energy efficiency. So, if I remember the slide correctly, there were 356 audits and 172 referrals. Does that, do do the referrals, is that what we should look to to to, to just try to guess at what percentage of the audits actually resulted in in homeowners or commercial users taking action?
10: Um, Yeah, so we, the referrals are really, um, pointing people towards other programs that are, uh, relevant to them. We have another metric called leads that is kind of like a warm handoff passing the baton directly to another program. Um, for our commercial program, those leads were 23 businesses to PG&E's energy efficiency programs. Um, and once we pass that baton, it's really up to PG&E's program to take it from there and kind of get the projects on board. Uh, it was challenging with PG&E's program. It was a, a territory wide program. And so I think they were not as perhaps responsive as a, a local program. And so um, that slow response meant that they lost some interest from customers. Um, on the residential side, uh, some of the programs is a little hard to track, you know, we point them, we can track pointing them to other programs, but it's a little harder to see if they go all the way through the process. 1 bright spot there is the own connect program, which helps to, um, provide some, uh, stability to the grid during peak summer hours by helping people to shift to other times of the day to use energy, um, of the, the. Residents that we referred to the program about forty six percent finished the process and signed up with the program, which was a
2: strong conversion rate. Great, that is that is good news. Thank you, Commissioner
0: Wald.
3: Uh, could I just follow up on that by observing uh, that you know I I yield to no one in if, if, with. In my desire to have metrics for uh, the department's work, but in a program like this, particularly, I think on the residential side, but also on the business side, I think it's really important to recognize that. It's not just about. Um, it. It's success can't be measured just in terms of whether or not people actually uh, follow through. Th- this is an, an opportunity. Or the city to demonstrate that it's care for and concern about uh, group, groups of people who have traditionally uh, been ignored. And so to the extent. And this is probably difficult to measure to the extent that that. Um, department staff can make. People who live in San Francisco field valued. Uh, by the city and its institutions, I, I, think it's, it's importance cannot be overstated or underestimated. Thanks.
0: Well, said Commissioner Wald and I support Commissioner Wald's, um. Thoughts that, uh, that the commission can do something to try to revive this program or, or to get something kind of a, a program with you need to do at least a portion of what they were doing that
2: that would be we would support that thank you okay and thank you for a great presentation Kara
0: Uh, so hearing no other comments I think we can go to public comment Kyle thank you commissioner members of the
1: public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star 3 to be added to the speaker queue for those
2: already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue, public comment on the closed.
0: Thank you. Next item, please.
1: Okay, the next item is item nine, new business future agenda items. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion.
11: Thank you, Kyle. Um good evening, Commissioners. Uh the next full meeting of the uh, commission is on December sixth. The next meeting for the Operations Committee is on January 9. And the next scheduled meeting for the policy committee is on December 12. I will note that we often cancel the um, policy committee meeting in December um, just because it's December. And since our commission meeting is on the 6, they're so close together. And so I just want to note that um, sometimes that meeting gets canceled. Um, so stay tuned uh, on that. Um, since this is the end of the year. We do have a bit of a blank slate in terms of new business. Um, and, um, if we do cancel it, the 1st, um, policy commission, meet committee meeting will be, I believe in February, uh, at the beginning of every year, we kind of, um, talk to the program areas, survey the program teams and we populate a calendar for each, um, uh, meeting. And so that begins late December, early January. Um, but in the meantime, if you do have uh, agenda items that you wish to hear at, um, upcoming policy meetings. Let me know now or um, or shoot me a message afterwards if something occurs to you um, because it is again the end of the year and so we are thinking about next
2: year. I'll pause to see if you have any questions. None here. Put my thinking cap on.
0: Okay. Right. Sounds good. Wald, any thoughts?
2: None here yet, but I too will put my thinking cap on. Great. Well, if there are no other
0: comments, thank you, Charles, and uh, let's go to public comment.
1: Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker
2: queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed.
1: Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Next item, please. The next item is item 10, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 6.49 PM. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you all. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving.